0: Hello, hello. Welcome back to the CTO Studio. I, of course, am your host, Nikolai Walker, on the mic and in your ear and saluting you. Uh, we are back again today, and we are doing another interview with Aaron Longwell, who is the Director of Engineering Justice Sector Support Program, Afghanistan. So he is building the app that hosts all of the Afghanistan legal system, and we are going to do the deep, deep dive today and get into the nuts and bolts, or meat and potatoes, if you're vegetarian, uh, for how this exactly is being built. So I'm going to hand it off to Etienne, and let's get started.
1: Yeah, so... so... You move into a new role where someone says to you, we're going to a country to help build the legal back end to the whole country. And you're like, okay, this sounds awesome. Let's do this.
2: Yeah, it's, I mean, it it was, I don't know, you get what you ask for kind of thing. I had, uh, when I was planning to leave Culture Foundry, I was sort of like, had some career aspirations. I had always been kind of a freelancer or worked on small teams. I'd worked with a lot of big corporations, but had never worked in one. And so I was like, I feel like I have a weakness in terms of uh, indirect, the way I would, I was wording it for a long time was indirect influence. Like when I'm not just like in charge of my five developers on my team, getting like other parts of the organization to move the way I think they need to move through influence and persuasion i was like i'm not good at that i have never done it and the only way to i thought to do that was to go join a bigger company and so that was my intention and then kind of out of the blue this project came along and it was so interesting and intriguing i started spending time with it and thinking about it and then i kind of realized indirectly that it was the most extreme version of that (laughs) that i was looking for because it's like i have so little power on this project i'm you know relatively low ranking in the state department world but you know if I can effectively communicate and if I can you know make persuasive arguments things that I think should happen will happen and I've had a ton of opportunity to do that so that's kind of why I took the project but in retrospect it does look very crazy because it's like this is an enormous project it's um, so just to kind of I know you know, but to fill the listeners in. So what we're building is, we're building version two of a system that was built originally eight years ago. It was originally built just to track the results of criminal trials in Afghanistan. So it was basically um, a court and prison administration system so that they would know, okay, how many people are in prison for this? How many people are in prison for this? And the main reason the US uh, was funding it was it's the department of the State Department called uh, International Narcotics and Law, which ex- essentially exists to support legal systems in other countries as a way to minimize impacts of crime that becomes international. So, you know, things like drug trafficking, human trafficking, terrorism, if they can get just and effective legal systems operating in countries like Afghanistan, then you know the problem is dealt with locally, essentially. Um, so that's kind of what the, the was the basis of the original project. But over time, they realized that a big weakness of Afghanistan was that the courts are corrupt and ineffective; that people, you know, don't get good justice when they, uh, you know, take uh, like file a criminal complaint or when they have a lawsuit. So in a lot of places, you know, people would just not use the court system or they end up having to bribe judges to get what they want. And so they expanded it to do what's called case flow management, which is essentially a kind of a business process reengineering idea of how you make a court system run more effectively. So the system we're building basically starts at the moment a crime occurs or a lawsuit is filed and it manages it through the investigation phase, through court procedures, through appeals processes and through the Supreme court and ultimately manages um, basically the the prison population of who's in what, what facility and for how long. Um, So uh, yeah, there's, An enormous number of moving parts. There's dozens of different ministries of the government that we work with that all have to work together on this same piece of software. So there's governance boards that the project we're on has set up to get the different ministries to work together. Um, I've since become aware that this is one of the only systems in the world that works this way. Like the U.S. would have a completely different procedure for the police, another procedure for the local um, prosecution and probably multiple for them, and the court would have its own system, and then the prisons would have their own system. So there's huge advantages from a software perspective to do it this way, but there's huge political challenges to get all these ministries working together. You know, it's like it's a requirements gathering nightmare uh, when you try to figure out how to make all these things operate the same. So When I came in, one of the very first things I did was try to take a strategy of building kind of a, a decoupled monolith. So we essentially are treating each ministry as its own module in the software and very tightly controlling how they exchange data with the other modules. So we can almost behave, we can almost treat them as independent units, even though they do ultimately have to agree on certain things with how the software works. So... That's the gist of what I've been up to. I think I well, the last time we talked was two years ago, and I was uh, uh, what's called an STTA, short-term technical advisor at that time. We've since turned it into a 30-month contract, and we're about 12, no, like 14 months into that, basically halfway. Um, so yeah, it's been fascinating new chapter in my career. It's been... A lot of learning
1: a lot of uh yeah a lot of challenge it's it's great and so i'm I'm assuming that uh some laws of the western world don't apply in the sense that when you're dealing with a specific like i think any country when you're when you're doing something in the public sector like that, where you host you know QA, deployment strategies, all that stuff probably interferes with, like, the quickest way to to production, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have um, – so, yeah, there's all kinds of challenges with regards to, uh, like, regulations within the country. So, I'm not sure whether all country. I know – under Obama's term, we got an office of the CTO for a while. Um, but Afghanistan, because it was essentially the current government, was basically created in 2001, they have some fairly modern ideas. Like there is an organization of the government that is specifically designed for building and hosting software applications. So, like, they are a player in our project. And in some ways, a competitor, because we're kind of doing their job for them. Uh, But because the U.S. government is paying for it, not the Afghan government, everybody thinks it's better to have us do it. (laughs) But it's also kind of a political conflict because it's a little bit of a they know they ultimately have to manage what we do. So they're, you know, suspicious of things that we might, you know, specify. So we, we have to sort of navigate that. And I suspect that's probably would be the case in many other countries too. It's just, um, you know, the nature of international donor-based development work. Um, yeah. So we we have to we kind of have to learn the law of Afghanistan. Basically, I have I don't. Oh yeah, I do right here. Like I have the uh, the criminal procedure code of the country. This is a translation. Um, so like we have to know our, what Article 145 means in terms of how the software needs to manage an a- appeal, um, uh, which is kind of fun for me a little bit. This is part of the reason I took this project. Is for a while in college I considered going to law school and getting into copyright law. I thought that would be a interesting field when I was in school, and I think it would have. But I had left school and got into so much software development, had so much fun doing it, I kind of forgot to ever go to law school. So
1: It's also got to be interesting, you know, and I imagine this is what SpaceX and Tesla developers feel like, where you're not building a – you're building bespoke custom-fit glove on a hand software so you're not thinking well how do i abstract this flow so that it can be multi-tenanted and you know it's more like hey if if in this particular case there's this exception then good we're just going to code it Mm -hmm.
2: yeah exactly it's very one of the things i've found really odd about this project is that in the past i would have approached a lot of problems where it's like th- like there's a buyer build discussion you always have and it, it would come into like third-party libraries we would use so for example like calendar selection we, we need to select a date and a time that the crime occurred so we're using Viewtify and there's some controls that do that there's some npm packages we could use but Afghanistan has two legal languages, Dari and Pashto. Dari is kind of a variant of Farsi, which is spoken in Iran. Um, But very few computer tools support Dari, uh, and even fewer support Pashto. So we're kind of presented with this problem all the time where it's like, well, if we use that third party thing, then we need to patch it with all these language tools So we have made the choice a lot of times just to like, well, let's go look at the source code for that thing, understand how, like fundamentally how they did it. Is it hard for us to build our own and then build our own? And we've ended up with, I think at this point now, we have like 30 really low level controls. Um, Like we have uh, different kinds of text field editors, date fields that will switch the, the from the solar Islamic calendar to the Gregorian calendar, back and forth and like all these tools. And at the time, like as a CTO for a long time, every one of those, I would have been on other projects just like, no, it's too much work to build our own, like that would be stupid. But tooling these days has gotten so good that a lot of these things are like four or five days of effort initially couple days of debugging a couple weeks down the road and then they become this massive resource that solves all kinds of problems throughout the project and we're not kind of we don't have developer communication problems about oh when you're dealing with this kind of date you do this and this is you don't have to deal with those in policy anymore because the code is solving the problem for you and i i'm looking back and going man i i bet there's a lot of places in the past where telling somebody you know, I know it looks hard to build your own thing of that, but it's only going to take a day. So go ahead and do it. Um, I think I would have. I think probably, and this is back to the degeneracy thing. We have this this mentality of dry that's like, well, somebody else already built some component. So don't, you know, don't repeat that work, right? So reuse whatever you can reuse. The problem is you've just built, You've increased complexity because now you have a dependency on some third-party control that in turn might have other dependencies. And you don't really know what that looks like. And if you're talking about a day of work to build it the first time, you're probably talking about a day of work to rebuild it if you did it wrong. And so you have this known quantifiable impact of how hard that's going to be. And I think just looking back, I was always in so much of a hurry to say, oh, well, this one takes five minutes, this one takes eight hours, it's let's definitely go with the five minutes choice and not really thinking through the second order impacts of, well, how's that going to affect how easy it is for us to upgrade to the next project? And that that's kind of a side effect on this project. We've known from the beginning that we have to hand this off to this agency I was talking about. And so we've wanted to like really tightly control, like we don't want, a mess at the end we want to know okay we're using this dependency and this is why when it needs to be upgraded this is how you do it so every time we do so view we're using Vue.js on the project and view 3 was just released so we know we're going to upgrade and but we know we're not going to upgrade until we have the time to really closely document okay we ran into this problem this is how we addressed it this is the steps we took to upgrade so that when view 4 comes out that that documentation is there and ready to say, okay, this is what, this is where you're likely to run into problems and this is what uh, we did to solve them. So it's, that approach has made us really, really av- avoid dependencies because we know we have to document them and.
1: Mm. Because, because, and, and and this is what I, I always scratch my head with this, but when I talk to founders, especially founders who want to pause development I always tell them, well, it's the thing your code is going to age. And it's not because it gets crusty on the disk drive because no one's loading it. It's because all the thousands of dependencies that we used to build this, that's not standing still. So there are the, the, the dependency monster is the thing that is stays very much alive and a lot of our debt technical debt a lot of our work is really to feed that monster because yes you had to make a simple fix but when you try to compile the code it was the other package that you were including is now a version later and now you not and then when you start freezing those versions and you're starting to depend on uh, well now you're just kicking the can down the road because yeah it's
2: it's it's an unwinnable battle i think i think this goes back to that right brain thing. Like you want this, like the freezing dependencies thing is this need for certainty. Like, oh, I have control over my deployment. Docker's the same thing, like immutable builds, right? We, we want that because they're controlled. They are controlled, but the world is not. So like you may have uh, a perfectly built Docker container in five years that's that has an embedded dependency of some massive security hole that is still an open security hole inside that Docker container. And that it is not really immutable if you start considering its interactions in the w- real world. So you, you can't really ever cordon off something and push pause on it. Like the world keeps moving on. And especially, I think this is so true for startups too, because startups, the world moves faster for startups than the rest of society. Uh, and that's like, that can be a benefit because it, it can be you're used to switching pivoting more often, but it can also be like this, like, you see it as your main problem to solve. How do we like, how do we control the our code quality? How do we build this right? And I, I think a lot of the startups I've worked with in retrospect, I would have, I would have actually been sloppier and build things, you know, messier and just been more eager to like throw it away and said, Yeah, we have this shitty system that's got all all of this mess in it and it's like, you know, a Frankenstein's monster, but, you know, I I'm gonna bet Facebook has some really shitty PHP code running in it.
1: I was about to tell. I was about to say, you just characterized thousands of startups who are built on PHP and then have the first Ruby on Rails conversation. If I, I can't tell you how many conversations I was in where I had to tell my developers that that shitty PHP code is paying your salary. So I wonder. So in 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 considering that fast pace of startups, considering the five minutes versus five days approach. Do you think that the the artificial urgency, the artificially urgent system that is on top of what nature really wants to be, is our economics, our economics system, where it's got to be done cheap, uh, you can't spend the extra 10 bucks, you know, is, is it because we have the scarcity mentality? You could invest the five grand to do it a certain way, but you'd rather spend fifty bucks because four thousand nine hundred and fifty dollars can go towards an extra Google ad spend. I, I mean, I think the the short answer to
2: that is is context. Back to the left brain right brain thing, right? The the right brain is always aware of the context. So I think the thing that we miss in startups when you focus on the speed of things you miss the context of like what actually matters and why and being more into i think i talked about this on our podcast before that book adapt which he talks about the palchinski principles which is um the the third one has to do with making sure you're aware of the the experiments you're making basically being in harmony with the world so when when i'm talking about the five minutes versus the five days there are some situations where like oh what we're talking about is some one-off corner of the system that like oh this customer this salesman one one salesperson thinks this is a good idea and we want to run an experiment on this particular approach and we want to experiment uh, with the code in some way in this third-party component, we can plug it in in five minutes and it will uh, let us do that, but it will create mess. Um, you can kind of take that context and say, okay, that might be a place where a really terribly built experiment that we hardly even test is pr- it might be fine. But if what you're talking about is like the literal, you know, it's page one of your investor deck and it's the technology that your whole system is built on, like build it yourself. Like that's, you know, that's going to be a long-term component and you, you know how it's going to work and you want to own it and make sure it works well. So I think, I don't think you can answer that, you know, with a, a rule. I think you have to take the context into account and say, okay, this is, an important tool. I th- think bringing it back to the example in Afghanistan, like this system is used by the U S government in the context of peace negotiations and all kinds of other, you know, English speaking, uh, like other English speaking international donors are going to use the system. So it needs to work well in English, but it's fundamentally going to be used 90% of the time in Dari and Pashto. So having really good tools to translate English, Dari, and Pashto and make that process seamless is worth the investment. And so we have invested a lot of time in custom components and avoided third-party tools. Like I think we even started to implement our own solar calendar conversion function for a while because the, whatever we were using was problematic. And so like those, t- those are worth that effort. Um, but things that we might do for a demo... We might build really sloppily and you know just build quickly to get out the door.
1: yeah, I love I, I love that emphasis on context uh, as one is marrying degeneracy with unnatural optimization and straight lines, because I think that in our roles as CTO, we need to put ourselves in a position where context is presented, context is understood, context is promoted. And, and as someone then who understands the technology components, the business direction, the long term value, to then be able to say, well, given that, this is a five minute task and should be one and we should go find the package and we we shouldn't be building this. Versus the five-day task, which is this is so critically important to us that I know you think that it shouldn't cost us fifty thousand dollars to build this, but now it's my job to say, well, this is why the fifty grand is 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 an essential spend on this task.
2: Yeah, I think I I got asked in an interview, uh, actually, inter- the interview that I almost accepted before starting this project, the person asked me, what's your management philosophy? and it's one of, that's one of those questions that like you should have an answer for. like that's a lot of people ask that and there are like known management philosophies and I was like completely un, unprepared for the question had not I'd never thought about that before. What's my management philosophy? But what came out of my math was empathy and, and uh, context. And I explained, I was like, I think I have two jobs as a manager of a team. Two jobs. One is to make sure the team is aware of the context in which they're operating. Like they need to understand not just the CEO asked for X, like the task is X, but they need to understand the CEO's motivations, the business's vision, like what's going on, what the market opportunity is, and why we're like what we're doing because the CEO might ask for something stupid. And when they realize, oh, that's a stupid request with technically speaking, and we can solve the business vision better with, with task Y, the team kind of needs to be empowered to, uh, to understand that. And they can't do that unless you have told them, communicated to them what the context is. And then the other piece, empathy, is, is I think like what I explained in the interview is like, well, I've been – a CEO type person. I've been a developer with a crazy CEO and I've been a manager. So I've been in all these environments. I know what it's like to be there. And it's like, I know what a death march is like and how to avoid it and have empathy. But I also know what it's like to be in a position where the developers just can't work fast enough and you can't, you know, you can't satisfy the investors because you're not moving fast enough. And so understanding the, both of those things and communicating between them I think is what like my my approach to management kind of is and I think the the interviewer was kind of like was really taken aback by the context piece that that was like well that's not a management philosophy but I think for me it is it's like that's your whole job is to make sure people understand what the vision is um you know a higher level of leadership you have to set the vision too but I think as a manager most of the time it's your job is to just make the team aware.
1: I think the empathy part also drives that need to provide context because you need to, you want to bring the best out in people, and so if you're post-industrial age, where it's the, it's the knowledge age and it's knowledge workers, and you you know you you need to be able to know when people need to know certain things because you want to unlock certain gifts skills
2: yeah being being aware of what why your team is there like why why does your senior engineer want to work on this team why does you know the the intern that just started why did they pick your company like understanding those things to know what they're trying to get out of it cuz it's a it's a two-way market like you're building you're trying to satisfy some customer, but you're also like, you know, people have a choice in how they spend their time and, you know, they don't check their brain in at the door
1: and let you use it from nine to five and then check it which out. Which is, which is, <laughs> yes, which is how, which is often not only how they are managed, but how they view themselves. And uh, I mean, I struggle with that to this day. It's like, am I, Providing value, if I just think about something.
0: Thanks again for joining us here in the CTO studio. Thank you to our guest, Aaron Longwell. If you would please go check out Mr. Longwell's LinkedIn. Also, do go check out 7CTOs.com and subscribe to this podcast here available in iTunes. As always, we will see you again next time.